You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. So why don't Katie and I read that to you now? So Psalm 22, starting from verse 1. For the director of music to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. 
They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Uh, hi everyone, my name's Ralph. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at City Church. Uh, and it's great to be bringing you this new series, uh, starting to look at the cross as we anticipate uh, Easter Sunday in just two weeks' time. Now let us pray before we turn uh, to look at the passages. Father God, thank you so much for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he uh, is our salvation. I pray you'd be with us now as we dwell on this passage of Psalm 22. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive your word for us today. Amen. Uh, Well, this is a new, uh, very, very short, just a two-week series that we have in the run-up to Easter, and it's titled Perspectives on the Cross. Uh, And what the series is seeking to do is it's is seeking to look at the cross through the lens of a number of Old Testament passages. In total, 13 Old Testament passages are quoted or alluded to in the gospel accounts of the cross and resurrection. Now, of those 13, eight come from the book of Psalms, and five, that's five, out of 13, come from this psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 22. Uh, So turn back to Psalm 22 with me. Uh, Psalm 22, given that it's quoted five times in the accounts of the cross, we know that it is an important lens through which we are to behold the full horror, but also the full glory of the cross. And the opening verse of Psalm 22, it really sets out the the heart of the psalm. Look at that with me. Verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, this whole psalm, it is about forsakenness, about abandonment, about being cast into the darkest depths of loneliness. It's fair to say, I think, that we are experiencing a pandemic of loneliness right now. Uh, Some research was carried out on university campuses back in 2018, and it found that 21% of university students... Remember, university is a time when you're supposed to be living it up socially, but 21% of university students in 2018 reported being lonely. Most or all of the time. That figure rose to 26% in 2019. And of course, remember, all of this was pre-COVID. According to a Mental Health Foundation survey, loneliness amongst 19 to 24-year-olds reached a dizzying 43.9% in 2020 at the start of the pandemic. But but what is loneliness? Well, here's a definition that the government uses. Loneliness is a subjective, unwelcome feeling of lack or loss of companionship. It happens when we have a mismatch between the quantity and quality of social relationships that we have and those that we want. Notice here that loneliness is not the same thing as being alone. 
Some people are alone, but they are not lonely. That's me at 6.30 in the morning when I have my quiet time with real quiet. I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. But there are other people who are surrounded by people all day long, so they're not alone, but they find themselves to be lonely. It's about a lack or a loss of companionship. It's about how we feel about the the quantity and the quality of our relationships. And it is a pandemic, the pandemic of loneliness, that is impacting the whole world, but is particularly impacting large urban cities like Manchester. My guess is that all of us here this afternoon, all of us have experienced loneliness in some way in the past month. I know I certainly have. And what I want to see is that that loneliness, it has profoundly biblical origins. What do I mean? Well, let's go back right to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 teaches us that we were made for relationship. So God created human beings in his image for relationship with him. That's the reason we were made. Not because God needed us, but because God wanted us. He desired us. We we were made to be relational beings, made to be in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. But, just go forwards two chapters to Genesis chapter 3, and we find out there how it all got messed up. We human beings, we decided to live our lives our way. The Bible calls that sin. And it led to the ultimate relationship breakdown. We were separated. We were cut off from God. More than that, ever since Genesis chapter 3, we human beings, we've been raging against God. And it has led to a fragmentation of all of our other relationships. It's why marriages break down. It's why families disintegrate. It's why nations war against nations. It is why loneliness exists. We were designed for relationship. We were designed for companionship. But like a a gigantic pane of glass dropped off the top of the Beetham Tower, those relationships have been shattered into a million pieces because of sin in the world. Which brings us to our psalm, Psalm 22. Just flick back to Psalm 22 with me. And I've got three points for us today. Firstly, the loneliness of David... Secondly, the loneliness of Christ. And then thirdly, the great assembly of joy. So first up, the loneliness of David. Uh, The heading tells us that this is a psalm of King David. And the title, The Doe of the Morning, it gives us a hint as to the content of the psalm. I mean, the break of dawn, that is prime hunting time, isn't it? That is the time when predators go out to try and find their prey. And King David, as he writes this psalm, he feels like a a piece of prey out at the breaking of dawn, fearful about what predators lie around. This psalm, it is a far cry from the confident hope of the previous psalm, Psalm 21. In Psalm 21, verse 7, David cries out, he who trusts in the Lord will not be shaken. 
That's the cry of Psalm 21. Yes, if I trust in the Lord, I will not be shaken. But we get to Psalm 22 and everything changes. David certainly seems to be shaken, shaken to his core. The psalm is split into two halves. The first half, from verses 1 to 21, it has three movements. The first movement is there in verses 1 to 5, and it describes David's perceived sense of abandonment. Abandonment by God. It's the famous, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, David cries out. He pleads with God, but there is no answer. Just deafening silence. Many of us know what that feels like, don't we? We know what it is to cry out to God, but receive no response. In our grief, our anguish, our sadness, in the dark night of our souls, it sometimes feels like God is entirely absent. Of course he isn't, but it often feels that way, doesn't it? A few summers back, we went on holidays as a family to, to Grindelwald in Switzerland. It's a beautiful place located in, in a huge valley. And on the opposite side of the valley to the chalet we were staying in was the huge Eiger Mountain. It's colossal. It just towers above the valley. But when we arrived, we arrived at nighttime. It was dark. And we looked out of the windows of the chalet at the Eiger, and all we saw was inky darkness. The mountain was still there. The eye was still there. We saw it in the morning. But in the darkness, we couldn't see it at all. And it might not as well not have been there from our perspective. And sometimes it can feel that way with God too. In the darkness of our circumstances, in our depression, our loneliness, our sense of personal failure, it can feel like God is just not there. That we're abandoned. In the second movement, verses 6 to 11, David moves on to describe his experience of being mercilessly mocked. Mercilessly mocked. It leaves him, verse 6, feeling like a worm, not a man. He, He feels like an invertebrate. He's hated. Insults are hurled at him, verse 7. It sounds visceral, going to his very innermost being. And the worst thing about it is that the people who are mocking him, they are going for the place where it hurts most. They're going for his relationship with God. Where's your God now, David? If God was really there, if he was really for you, do you really think he would let this happen to you? Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never help, hurt me. They've never experienced being bullied, have they? Words really do hurt. And words often leave us feeling completely alone. Especially when it feels like God doesn't come to our defense. Perhaps you know what that feels like. Well, thirdly, David describes physical threat. The only image that David thinks can do it justice is the image of animals. So he talks about gigantic bulls of Bashan, 
verse 12. Weighing 12 times the weight of a human being, they surround him, they, they snort and they flick up dust from under them. He then describes his opponents as being like hungry lions waiting to devour him as their prey. David melts away in fear. He's humiliated, devastated, ashamed, and utterly alone. We know something of that, don't we? Some of us here today, we have faced literal bullies who have threatened to do us physical harm. And we know how utterly lonely we feel when faced by bullies. We know how even our friends and family can start to feel distant because that bullying puts a barrier between us and them. Others of us here today, we've experienced physical threat, not from other people, but from our circumstances. From our bank account balances that are hurtling into the red. From the eviction notice that came through our letterbox. Through the persecution and mockery and marginalization we face at work. And when we experience that, we feel all alone. Well, what are we to learn from David's experiences here in Psalm 22? I think what this psalm does is it shows us how we should respond when affliction strikes. You see, some of us, when trouble hits... Our way of dealing with it is just to blurt it all out, to to tell anyone who will listen what is happening to us, to to fall into grumbling and feeling really down and self-pitying, lamenting what we're going through. Then there are others of us who who want to process it all internally and, and we just bottle it all up, getting more and more stressed, more and more anxious and afraid like a pressure cooker, just building up pressure and pressure and pressure. Well, I think what David teaches us that we need to do in Psalm 22 is not just blurt it out to anyone, not just keep it on the inside, but we need to share it with God. We need to process it with him. Did you notice that? And in each of the cycles, David goes to God with what he's going through. When he feels abandoned by God, he remembers, verses 3 to 5, how God had delivered his ancestors in the past. When David is mercilessly mocked, he remembers his present experience of God's continual care for him. That's verses 9 to 11. And then when David feels physically threatened from the outside, he remembers that God will protect and save him in the future. That's verses 19 to 21. Do you see? This is what we must do. Even when we feel utterly alone, just as David did, we must go to God with our loneliness. We must anchor ourselves in his promises, what he has said he will do. We will trust in God. We must trust in God that he's looked after us this far and we must trust his promise that he will look after us in the days to come. Even though we cannot see him, even though he's like a mountain in the pitch darkness of our experiences, we must trust in him. But there is a problem here, isn't there? 
As we work through the psalm, did you spot the problem? Just, just look through verses 1 to 21 again. See if you notice it. You see, these are King David's words, aren't they? But they can't be King David's words. Why? Well, David got himself into a number of scrapes. Many of us know the story of David fighting the giant Goliath. And David was in King Saul's court and King Saul tried to skewer him with a spear. David knew what it was like to get himself in trouble. David knew what it was like for King Saul to call the entire Israelite army to track him down to kill him. David knew what it was like uh, to be spat at and mocked by Shimei. But the events of verses 16 to 18 never happened to David because they describe a judicial execution. They describe David being encircled, his hands and his feet being pierced, his clothing being divided up through the casting of lots. That only happens at one event, at an execution. Because it is only at the point of execution that a person no longer has any need for clothes anymore. When they bear the ultimate humiliation of the cross. And that never happened to David. In fact, it could never have happened to David. You see, back in those days, kings weren't judged and then executed after they committed war crimes. There was no international criminal court in The Hague back in 1000 BC. No, when kings were defeated back then, they were just simply killed in battle. No trial, no judge, no jury, just death. Which means that Psalm 22 cannot be describing David's experiences it must be describing someone else. Which brings us to our second point today, the loneliness of Christ. Uh, Peter, in his sermon in Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, he says that David was a prophet who spoke about what his great descendant would one day do. Now, Peter was saying that about Psalm 16, but he could have been saying exactly the same thing about Psalm 22. You see, as one preacher has put it, Psalm 22 is a pre-prepared execution statement written a thousand years before the execution. That's what it is. That's what we saw in our reading from Matthew chapter 27 that Isaac did. Jesus, on the cross, picks up Psalm 22 and he reads it as his own execution statement. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the events that Psalm 22 describe, they map precisely onto Jesus' own experiences on the cross. So as the governor's soldiers dress him in Matthew 27, as they make him look like a king, and then as they thrust the thorny crown onto his head, shredding his scalp, 
They mock and insult him, as verse 7 of Psalm 22 says. As they strike him, as they stand around him, striking him again and again on the head, they surround him like a herd of raging bulls. Verse 12. And then in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 27, the baying crowd, they repeat almost word for word the very taunt recorded in Psalm 22 verse 8. They say, he trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he wants him. And then as the nails are driven through his hands and feet, it happens just as Psalm 22 verse 16 says. He is left exposed, naked, with all his bones on display, verse 17 of Psalm 22. And then Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, tells us that the soldiers cast lots for his clothing, just as Psalm 22, verse 18, said they would. So so what do we learn from this? Two things, I think. Firstly, God, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, knows exactly what it's like to be human, living in this broken, sin-fractured world. He knows what it is to be abandoned, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be utterly alone. Writing just after the end of the First World War, with all of his unspeakable horror, Edward Shillitoe penned a famous poem. He called it Jesus of the Scars. And the final verse goes like this. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Do you see? The God of the Bible, Jesus, he is the only God who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to be you. Allah doesn't know that, nor does Vishnu, nor do the forces of Mother Nature, nor do the invisible powers of natural selection. Only God in Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be you. To our wounds, only God's wounds speak. But in Jesus, God has not only experienced our pain and loneliness, secondly, he has also dealt with our pain and loneliness. You see, As Jesus uttered those famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not just associating with humanity. He was substituting for humanity. What do I mean? Well, it takes us back again to Genesis chapters 1 to 3. Remember what we saw there. We were created for relationship with God But our sin, our rebellion against God, it shattered that relationship. It meant that we were forsaken by God. But here's what happened in Matthew chapter 27. Here is what was prophesied in Psalm 22. God the Son, who is forever 
be an imperfect, harmonious, joyful relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, he was cut off. He was forsaken. I can't imagine what the physical pain of the cross was like. It must have been incredible. But Jesus didn't cry out because of the physical pain. I can't imagine what the emotional pain of the cross would have been like for him to have been deserted by all of his friends, by all of those who loved him most, so he thought. I can't imagine how painful that would have been for him. But that didn't make Jesus scream. No, it was this moment that made him cry out. Three o'clock in the afternoon, one Friday, in the first century, when God literally turned his back on Jesus as he punished him. Jesus was more alone on the cross than anyone has ever been alone. And he did it for us as our substitute in our place. I wonder whether you've managed to see the the Netflix documentary, The Trapped 13. Give me a nod if you've seen that yet. No one. Maybe one person has seen it. It's it's brilliant. I recommend you watch it. It tells the story of the 13 schoolboys aged 11 to 16 who got trapped in a cave in Thailand in 2018. And the rescue plan that they came up with was astonishing. It involved 18 divers. It was a perilous dive. It was two and a half miles long and half a mile down into the depths of the mountain. Uh, What made it worse was that as they went through the caves, there were incredibly strong currents pulling them in all different directions. It was also an extremely narrow passage. At one point, the passage was just 38 centimetres by 72 centimetres. The divers were taking incredible risks as they went in to rescue the boys. And just a few days before the final rescue attempt, one of the divers lost his life. When it came to the actual rescue, it was decided that the dive was too perilous and that the boys, if they were made to do the dive, they would panic. And that panic would put both their own lives and the life of their rescuer at risk. And so the decision was taken to anaesthetize the 18 boys. So they were put to sleep by a doctor who was one of the divers. And then once they were asleep, once they were knocked out, the divers lined up throughout the tunnel and passed the boys one to another. And they put themselves in the place where all the sharp rocks were so the boys would just go through seamlessly. The boys felt nothing. And the divers did it all. Well, that's what happened on the cross. Jesus on the cross, he took the punishment. He took the forsakenness, the abandonment in our place and we felt nothing at all. That's what Psalm 22 is ultimately about. He experienced our estrangement from God. Two things this teaches us. Firstly, it teaches us that our sin is far, far, far worse than we dared imagine. 
It, it required this of him. If it required something so extreme, then, then sin isn't merely a matter of a few slip-ups, a few mistakes, getting a few things wrong. No, no sin... Sin is nothing less than high treason against the God who made us. That is why Jesus had to go through this. But here's the second thing it teaches us. The fact that Jesus stayed on the cross, that he endured this for you, for me, it must mean that he loves us. He loves us far more than we possibly dare imagine. So have you received that love, that forgiveness, that grace that embraces you? Have you turned from your relational rebellion against God and put your trust in him? He experienced the relational rupture of hell. What what all of our loneliness and discomfort merely point to, and he did that so that we don't have to. More than that, so that we can experience joy unimaginable in the great assembly. Which brings us to our final point today. Look at verses 22 to 31 of Psalm 22. Verse 22 is a major turning point. And there's an incredible movement here from the anguish of verse 1 to the incredible joy of verse 22. From thirst in verse 15 to complete satisfaction in verse 26. Uh, From one person all alone in verse 1 to a great assembly in verse 22, stretching backwards and forwards throughout verse 30, all generations, and verse 27, all nations. It's incredible. It's joy unimaginable, satisfaction beyond our wildest dreams for all peoples in all places at all times. But it's only possible because Jesus first cried out in pain and abandonment. Do you know what Jesus' last words were before he died? It is finished. But, But Jesus could only breathe out those last words because first he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Our song of praise, the the song of praise that you're going to be invited to sing if you're trusting in Jesus, is only possible because Jesus first sung out a song of abandonment. Psalm 22 on the cross. Listen to this, it's from the book of Hebrews. And it's describing the completion of Jesus' work through his death and resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says this. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, that is Christians, brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. He's quoting from verse 22 of Psalm 22. Do you see the point? All the greatest stories that have ever been told are about a hero who suffers in order that others can rejoice. From Gladiator to Harry Potter, from the Avengers Endgame to 
Lord of the Rings, they all had the same story. Because they are all derived from this ultimate true story. Jesus went through the agony, the punishment, the wounds and forsakenness of verses 1 to 21 so that he could invite us into the glorious praise of verses 22 to 31. So that he could invite us to join him in the uninhibited joy and flourishing beauty and satisfaction, wholeness and oneness of his resurrection glory. Before we close, just two implications I want to draw out for us. Firstly, this means that Jesus gets you. I know that some of us are going through a really hard time right now. It's really painful. We're struggling in ways we never imagined that we would struggle in. Experiencing dark nights of the soul, feeling utterly lonely. Like no one can understand us. Like there is no way out. But know this. There is nothing we can experience, nothing we can suffer, no ordeal we can go through which is beyond the comprehension of Jesus. The God we cry out to is not distant. I mean, sometimes it can feel like that in our experience, can't it? It can feel that way with our politicians. How does someone who earns a million pounds a year understand what it's like to struggle with the cost of living crisis? But Jesus is not like that. Jesus gets us. You feel completely alone? let down by those closest to you, you feel hurt, humiliated, abandoned, ashamed, Jesus gets you at the most profound level. He understands. Always. And secondly, Psalm 22 tells you that Jesus will keep you. He will keep you. This life is hard, it is. Verses 1 to 21 feel so terribly close to our experience sometimes, don't they? But Jesus is one we can put our trust in, verse 4. He is one who will carry us from cradle to grave, verse 9, and he is our strength, verse 19. You see, Jesus both showed us the way, suffering now, glory later, but he also made the way for us through his ultimate moment of weakness on the cross. That one event, when he cried out, my God, my God, it is guaranteed that this feeling of loneliness that we experience today, we all experience it to some extent, that cry on the cross has guaranteed that one day soon, it will feel like a distant memory like a penny thrown into an infinite ocean of never-ending, all-embracing relational joy and satisfaction. That is the hope of Psalm 22, and that is the cast-iron guarantee that has been signed with the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you cried out 
your cry of abandonment in Psalm 22 is that we need never truly feel that. Thank you that you have promised that you are with us, that you will never leave nor forsake us. Thank you that in you, we have full relational satisfaction. Help us to taste that even now. Help us to come to you, to lay our burdens before you, trusting that you are good, trusting that you understand, trusting that you have made a way for us. And knowing that this life is just fleeting. And the joy and relational fulfillment to come will far surpass anything we experience in this time.